say that. Welcome to the OA Principles Workshop. Before we get started, we ask that you turn off all cell phones and electrical equipment. This session is being taped. Anyone wishing to share, including the speakers, will be required to sign uh, the release form before sharing when you come up here. To protect anonymity, no photography, audio, and or visual recording uh, other than the one that we are doing is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. My name is Richard. I'm a compulsive overeater and your leader for this meeting. Hi, everybody. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, wisdom to know the difference. I will now read the promises from the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in ourselves and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. I'm going to pitch service uh, for a moment because we're in need of more volunteers at the volunteer table. It takes a lot of people to make this thing happen. And for those of you that have signed up for that, uh, we really appreciate you. And we need more help, T-shirts, boutique, and there's a volunteer table out there, and they'll guide you to the places we need you most. So please, if you can give uh, any amount of your time, that would be much appreciated. It'll, it'll change your whole experience of this event for you, too. If you haven't done it before, it kind of gives it a sense of ownership for you. It becomes your convention after you do some service at it. So please do that if you can. The format for this meeting is as follows. Three speakers will share for 15 minutes each. Um, as they're sharing, the ask it basket will be circulated throughout the time. So go ahead and write your questions and put them in the basket. We'll just keep it rolling around until they're all done. Um, after uh, the ask it baskets, questions have been asked and answered, we will then have open sharing as time allows. Once again, the topic of this workshop is the OA principles. And... Let's give a warm welcome to our first speaker, Mary Rose. Good morning. My name is Mary Rose, and I'm a compulsive eater bulimic. And I have a problem with ego. And yesterday in one of the workshops, somebody said, let's pray the third step prayer, and that will help. So together, let's say the third step prayer. God... I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I might better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. 
of thy love, thy love, and thy way of life. May I dear will always. Amen. Okay. The OA Principles. I've been in this program since uh, 1987, and I couldn't get abstinent for the first two years. And in 1989, March 7th, I checked into uh, Raider Institute, an eating disorder unit, and that's the day I was able to get abstinent. So I have been abstinent for 18 years. And one of the reasons that I tell you that is because when they said speak on the OA principles, I had always heard about the OA principles, but what are they specifically? And so it led me to the big book and to several other books and to do some research. And so I'm going to be talking on the first three steps and the principles that are involved with those. Karen's going to talk on the, I'm sorry, the first four steps. Karen's going to talk on the next four, and then um, Lori's going to talk on the last four. And we handed out a flyer that has the principles listed, so you can just kind of follow along with it. Okay, step one. Before we get to step one, I learned that there's a step zero. And step zero is becoming willing to go to any length. And it says that in page 58 of the big book. It says, if you have decided that you want what we have, then you will go to any lengths to get it. Then and only then are you ready to take certain steps. And the first step, powerless over food. Now, my experience with step one is I knew I had a problem with food. I compulsively overate. I compulsively exercised. I was constantly obsessed with body size, what I ate, what I didn't eat, calories, clothes, what fit, what didn't fit, what was going to be that day's like. And at the end of the day, always feeling like, God, I wish I were dead. And then I thought, could there possibly be something more wrong with me? After all, I'm sitting in front of a dish of ice cream, and a dish of chemicals had more power on me than my own will and my own intellect. So then I said, yes, I have a problem, and I checked into an eating disorder unit. And it wasn't until that time I was in a hospital, basically locked up in a hospital. We couldn't go out. Uh, my son, I was a single parent. My son was with a family in my church. And um, I had a medical leave from work, six-week medical leave. And my insurance was paying $60,000. I figured I must be really sick. That's what it took for me to get honest that I had a disease. And today I am still honest and look at the fact that at any moment I could take that first compulsive bite and I would be back in the disease. And I, in the 18 years I've been here, I've seen lots of people go out and lots of people gain lots of weight when they go out. And so beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I am a compulsive overeater I have honestly accepted the fact that I have a life-threatening disease, and that without this program and these steps, I do not have any life, and I do not have any reprieve from this disease. So I am real honest about the disease. 
And sometimes when I see the disease flaring in someone else, I have a problem in that I confront that disease honestly and openly. And I sometimes make a mistake in doing that. But I really am concerned about this disease and what it does and how it kills. So that's step one, honesty. Then we get to step two. And lots of times in the readings before a meeting, you will hear these words. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. And for me, step two was about, you know, I've been raised Catholic. I knew God, you know, and I prayed. But you know what? I was also raised in the 60s. And in the 60s, we were taught we need to do for ourselves, and it's all about me. And I'm the one who has the power. After all, I am woman. So it wasn't okay to need somebody's help or to ask for help. That was a sign of weakness. And so this was a real struggle for me to come to the place that a God could and would take care of my food. Yes, he would take care of the world. He would take care of sick people. He would take care of all these other things. But he really, really wouldn't have the time or the inclination to take care of my food. And it was when I got to this step and I realized that God could and would if he were sought. And suddenly, I began to read the big book, and I learned how God worked in a lot of alcoholics' lives. And if he cared about what they drank, then he cared about what I ate. So, I had hope. So, principle number two is hope. And hope leads to a lot of other areas in life. And through the years, I've been given hope in many, many situations that I normally couldn't have found any hope in. And also, too, I just want to say one thing. Um, these principles, we hear in our meetings, we practice these principles in all our affairs. These principles and these steps are so ingrained in my head and in my heart and in my intellect and in my will that I use these steps in all my affairs. And after 18 years, I'm still working the steps. I have a step study in my home, and we're working the steps. And every year, I go through the steps. And right now, I'm going through the steps, honestly looking at my exercise bulimia and the control over my body and the weight. And so I'm, again, having to look at something honestly and then to look at there's a solution, there's an answer. I know where that is. It's in the steps. So I begin to write, and suddenly the gift of faith appears. It says in the big book, the first requirement 
is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Okay, so I've accepted that my life cannot possibly continue the way it was. And um, I accepted that there's a God that could and would. And so I said, well, why not take a chance? Why not trust and have the faith to believe that God is willing to help me? And I've learned that through the years that faith is about seeing something and hoping for something and being assured of something that we do hope for. Faith is the assurance of that which we hope for. And I learned that and I said, okay, I can look at what one day is without a compulsive bite in between meals and abstaining from my individual binge foods. My definition of abstinence as it says in the Brown Book, is not eating between planned meals and abstaining from my individual binge foods. My individual binge food is sugar. Any form, any type. And then I have a meal plan. And so I use that meal plan to um, make my food abstinent and to make my food moderate. So, step three, it says, this is the how and the why of it. Page, this is on page 62. I decided that hereafter, in this drama of life, God was going to be my director. He is the principal. I am his agent. He is the father, and I am his child. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which I pass to freedom. Okay, so now it's let's get down to work. Step four. Oh my gosh. But being a good Catholic, I was always going to confession every single week. So I thought I had dealt with everything and I didn't have anything that I would need to deal with. Even today, I am aware of resentments, I'm aware of anger, I'm aware of selfishness, I'm aware of ego, and all of these things, as it says in the 12 and 12, are the character defects that we constantly need to work on. It talks about in the big book, self. Selfishness, dishonesty, inconsiderate, self, caring about what we, our sex, caring about what we have, caring about what we want, being obsessed with what we want, all of the things step four helps us to deal with. Step four is about courage. Courage to look at ourselves as a flawless, as a flawed human being and to believe that it's okay. It's okay for me to live in this world and be a flawed human being. And I still have a problem with that today. I have got to be perfect. And I can't accept the fact that I'm not sometimes. And if I make a mistake, 
I really get down on myself. And every time I do, I have to have the courage once again to look at my character defects and what is it that's causing me all this pain. And right now, when I get into that shame, I know it's about ego. It's about self. So this step really helps me to look at that ego in the self. It says that we created a list, and this is how I do a fourth step, is I create a list of people that I have a resentment towards. I list the reason for that resentment. I list the cause of that resentment. And then I list the feeling of that resentment. Then I look at my part in it. Then I list my character defect. And the first time that I did my fourth step, fear was very much a part of it. False evidence appearing real. Fear about everything. Fear about what people thought about me. People about uh, Fear about failure. So I really had a lot of fear. And this step, this principle, courage, has been the foundation of everything that I do now. I have to have the courage to look at my part in it. What have I done? And that's really hard when somebody has been really, really mean. And I had somebody in my life who was really mean for three years. And I left that situation, and I couldn't possibly have had any part in it. But because of these principles and because of these steps, I was able to look at what my part in it was. I was able to have the courage to say, okay, what do I need to look at for me? What do I need to do? How do I need to proceed through the steps with courage? And with that, I'll turn it over to Karen. Thanks, Mary. Uh, One of the things you'll notice about me the ask a basket. Do we have the ask a basket here? Yeah, here it comes now. Thank you for asking. Oh, great. That was cute. Thank you for asking. I caught that, Richard. <laughs> um, I'm Karen. I'm a compulsive reader. I've been a compulsive reader all my life. Um, one of the things you'll notice today is that <clears throat> I have the remnants of a voice. So, I think this is funny that I'm going to be taped. <laughs> Somebody will buy this tape and say, what you say? <laughs> Either that or I'm some kind of credible, sexy woman. Those of which are hilarious to me. So um, I'm going to talk about uh, the next four principles. And I, like Mary, um, when I was notified that I was going to speak on this topic, I thought, what? The OA principles? I've heard this mentioned, but I really couldn't call them up the way I can. The steps, to a lesser degree, the traditions. Um, and when... Um, uh, through a series of getting a variety of people interested in doing research, including my sponsor with more time than I do, um, when I found out what they are, they speak to me uh, as a real basic set of values through which we live our life. That in working the 12 steps are the action steps that I took the first time um, about 25 years ago 
to live my life in a way that can help me uh, initially start my journey of recovery from compulsive overeating. Those steps are actions that I practice on a, a regular basis, but these values are the way I live my life. And what I've discovered for myself, and like we've said, everything here is for ourselves, but my own opinion, is that um, some of the language that we used, that was used in writing the big book, which is what we base our program on, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, uses language that I think of a little differently today than I think they meant it in the 20s. And I really read these as values in addition to principles. So when we talk about the principles, we're talking about the way we live our lives to me and how I bring these steps into my daily conduct of myself in my world in addition to the actions that I take around the steps. And I think Mary's done a beautiful job of talking about how that base gets set through honesty, hope, faith, and courage. So I'm going to talk about integrity, willingness, humility, and self-discipline. Which, of course, when Mary told me, okay, these are going to be your four, I went, ugh, self-discipline. <laughs> well, luckily, that's last. I won't start there. Uh, but then I read about it, and I actually have a lot to say about it. I'm going to start with integrity, which uh, is paralleled and certainly talked a lot about in step five. For me, and I do a lot of uh, work in other settings where we talk about values, and I've come to understand integrity as being more or less what you see is what you get. That I walk my talk. Who I say I am is who I am. And certainly in step five, when I, in a courageous way, as Mary talked about, open myself up and share who I am with a sponsor, there is a huge amount not only of courage in that, but that begins my life of integrity. Integrity is incredibly important to me. As a maintainer, um, which I've been for some years, I've been uh, recovering for somewhere between 25 and 27 years. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm somewhere between 25 and 27 years of abstinence, and honestly, I, I don't remember. I think it's 26 or 27. Um, uh, integrity to me is that I, I am who I say I am. And one of the things that means to me is from the podium and in my work with people, I think one thing that people will tell you about me is I tell the truth. My struggles with food, uh, my struggles with uh, what food calls me sometimes, my struggle with my own head, my struggles with um, my body image, my struggles with my spouse, my kids, my life. Those are the things that I talk about in a way that to me has to be real and honest because the sacrifice is, the sacrifice is my own connection with my higher power and my ability to recover. When I'm not living with integrity, and, you know, and that includes one day, um, I can't remember, it was somewhere recently, uh, we were going to walk out of, the, out of a, I was in a store, and I don't even know where it was, and I realized I hadn't paid for something. You know, there's always that little voice that says, oh, go ahead. It's all overpriced anyway, right? There's never been a markup is such that you really deserve this anyway. Uh, and integrity to me says, I have to live in a way that allows me to live inside my own skin. And it's not to me because it's just the right thing to do. It's because if I don't go back and say, I don't think you charged me for this, I run the risk of somewhere down the line compulsive reading again. I block my own connection to, the, to my higher power, who I call God. And that is about integrity to me. And whether it's about food or anything else. And one of the most difficult things for me as a maintainer is to stand up with 
25 plus years of recovery and say, I have a problem with food last night. I didn't binge. I'm not overeating again, but I ate too much, or I made a bad choice, or I had a high-moderate meal in the language that I use. I have to do that for myself. Um, so that, to me, is what integrity means. It means telling the truth and being willing to tell the truth, no matter what my ego says should be the truth, because that's really what it's about, what my ego says should be the truth, versus what my experience in the, light, in, in the world really is. The next um, principle is really willingness, and this starts um, with our willingness to make a list, not to actually do anything with it, but to make a list of the people we have harmed. <clears throat> I want to just mention that my first inventory, the woman who I gave my first inventory here, is sitting in the audience, and she's smiling at me, and she still likes me. <laughs> she probably doesn't even remember, <laughs> but I do. And um, one of the things that I thought is, oh, you know, we, we kind of did – uh, five, six, seven, all together. And I've learned over the years through her and others that six is one of those silent but deadly steps. That it really takes some courage and all of the other things we've been talking about, some faith to be willing to make that list. I have to make that list again and again. Um, I was thinking about it today. There's some amends that my, my current sponsor and I agreed I would put off, and it's time for me to make them, and I need to talk to her about that. Um, willingness is, is, is my day-to-day uh, openness to saying I've done something wrong or I'm willing to do something different. In step six, it's about my willingness to change. I don't have the power to say I'm going to be less arrogant, uh, less self uh, less hard on myself, less hard on the people I love, um, less selfish. I can't make that happen as much as I see the damage that it causes in my life. But I can be willing to have what I call a higher power, what I call God, help me with that. I can be willing to have those defects removed one small moment at a time. And I have to say, that this notion of willingness is core to how I live my life. Um, these, these, whole, these, uh, these principles are very affirming to me because I look at them and I know that these are how I try to live my life. And willingness is key among them. Is that every day I know, or at least almost every day, I pray for the willingness to do something that I need to do to be, to be a positive force in the world, which is how I attempt to live my life according to the way my God would have me live it. How can I be a positive force in the world? Help me be willing to do what I need to do. I learned something a long time ago, which I love and I hold very close to my heart. There was somebody in recovery who had a lot of recovery where I was very new. And he said, sometimes I'm not willing. Sometimes I'm just willing to be willing to be willing. And that's enough. The state of willingness is very big to walk through. And so sometimes I know I am extremely uh, hard on those I love. And I know that that causes both me pain and them pain. And it blocks me from what I think of as another core principle that Lori's going to talk about, which is love. And that's a character defect. And I have to pray for the willingness to see the good in people. I have to read page 449 and be willing to show up. And I'll tell you the most wonderful thing about this principle for me is if I take care of the willingness, God takes care of the rest. Maybe not in my time, maybe not in a way that's perfect, but in a way that allows me to join the human race and be average. 
in a way that allows me to walk and give to people in a way that makes a difference in however I can. And uh, so willingness is a cornerstone of how I seek to live my life every day, my willingness to be better, and my willingness to recognize that I don't have to be perfect, uh, and my willingness to admit my character defects, show up, talk about them, and to um, change as I move through my life. The next principle is humility. I love this principle. I'm so excited that I get to talk about it. Because I have to say, I hated humility when I got here. Humility, I, I got to step seven and I thought, as I did with, with the whole program when I got here, this is bogus. This is ridiculous. Humility, first of all, I'm not Catholic, but it sounded awfully Catholic. I said, it sounded awfully Catholic. So, I initially kind of bridled at that and thought, well, I, I probably know better. Uh, secondly, it sounded a lot like humiliation. And while I lead with arrogance, um, at the core of my arrogance is a sense of shame and being less than. And there's a flip side of the exact same coin. So humiliation was something that I didn't know I'd experienced at that time, but it was a core feeling in my being. There's nothing more humiliating than going to a party when you're 20 years old at college and having to go into the bathroom and bring a coat hanger with you to zip up your pants, you know, through the little hole in the zipper, uh, because they don't fit. And I knew that feeling through my binging, through my lying, through my pants that didn't fit anymore, through the size that I wore, and that feeling was humiliation. And when I read humility, I went straight to that, as well as my arrogant ego. Humility today means my willingness to know that I don't know. I don't know. The humility in step seven is to go out and to, um, <clears throat> to understand that I make mistakes. That, that humi humility is my willingness to recognize that I am part of the human race. This is one that I struggle with because I do lead with arrogance. That uh, I like to say, oh, I like to measure up. I think I'm uh, better than her. I think, ooh, I think she's better than me. Oh, I, I think I should belong in that group over there. Ooh, I wouldn't want to be seen with that group over there. And this has been going on in my head so as long as I can remember. So I can't make that stop. What I can recognize is humility allows me to understand that I am just a person in this world. I went to my high school graduation, my 30-year high school graduation recently. I know I look way too young. And I... I was doing pretty high course, and one of the women in, uh, in, uh, um, uh, in OA said to me, you know, she went to her graduation and, and her sponsor told her, you're just another bozo on the bus. And um, I thought, well, I don't know if I'm really another bozo on the bus. But I got there, and rather than just realizing that about me, I realized to me that all those people in high school were all just bozos on the bus. Whether we look good one day and not the next, we're all just bozos on the bus. And that's what humility is to me, is the willingness to recognize. There is such freedom in that, in not having to be better than and not dealing with the pain of being less than, to just be a member of the fellowship, a member of the world. Uh, it is an immense freedom that allows me to go out and be who I am. And it's a wonderful, wonderful gift, this notion of humility. And I ask God every day, when I'm working with a group in my work or when I'm doing something scary, to use me and my ego 
as an agent to do something good in the world, to give me the humility to recognize the needs in others and help me to be an agent of good in the world. The last, the last principle uh, which we come to in step eight is self-discipline. So in seven, we talk about um, the willingness to make amends. <clears throat> step eight um, is really about discipline. Well, Avis became willing to make amends for the law. I'm getting all choked around. Step eight is about self-discipline. I want to talk about self-discipline. I don't like discipline. There's some of you out there who like discipline. You are what we call, and we non-discipline types, called anal retentive. <laughs> That's just our arrogant way of saying, boy, I wish I had some of what you have. Uh, at my house, we talk about the friends we have who have knee houses and the friends we have who have messy houses. And uh, at our house, we have kind of a middle-of-the-road house. We have a sometimes messy, sometimes neat house. The way discipline plays itself out in my work in Overeaters Anonymous, and this is one I could relate to. I read a little thing that Mary gave me today. She said, oh, you want to read about it? I said, that's you're going to. I was reading about it. And the way it talked about this little piece she had was the discipline to set things right. And that is a discipline I do practice, not always perfectly, but every day, the discipline to do the right thing, the discipline to make an amends when I make a mess, the discipline to do the right thing when I can justify doing the wrong thing, the discipline to pray in the morning, the discipline to meditate, which I do of some degree or another every day, um, and the discipline to eat in a way that's moderate. Those are all disciplines that were new to me when I got here. Discipline is an area I pray a lot about. The willingness to control myself, understanding that it gives me greater freedom down the line. My ability to discipline myself through these steps, to have the courage to tell people who I really am, to look at the harm that causes in other people's lives, to make a list of how I've harmed those people and who they are, to be willing to tell them what I've done and to make amends. That discipline opens the door for me to discipline myself another way. And what I've learned here is that discipline and freedom go hand in hand. Uh, freedom is not the lack of discipline and the lack of responsibilities and the lack of um, things that I have to do. Freedom is the willingness to do those things and the incredible joy that comes from that. Freedom is the ability to live in the promises, which, coming right up, come true in the middle of step nine. And the most beautiful thing is, when you read the promises this morning, I could think of some situations I've been dealing with in my life for a while now, and how these principles have helped me deal with them, and how today I'm living the promises of those. And it is through that discipline that I get the relief to actually live my life the way God would intend. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Mary Rose and Karen, and now I give you Lori. Thank you. Um, I'm going to talk about the spiritual principles that are behind the last of the four steps. And I thought I really should be speaking about the three steps, because I can kind of see those go together. And I was uncomfortable getting stuck with talking about step nine. Um, and then I realized that step nine is the heart of the program, and step nine is where the promises become true. And I started to think about that. Um, one of the best, you know, what, what do we mean by love? And that's the spiritual principle behind step nine. 
What do we mean by love? Uh, we use that word so much. I love this. I love that. I love him. I love that show. You know, I love this song. We're constantly saying that, but what do we mean? And to me, the, the wonderful thing about the program that's based on Alcoholics Anonymous is that it gives us substance to spiritual values. It's, it's spiritual, but it's also very practical. And I'm both things. I'm both body and spirit, and I need to embody my values. I need to really live my values. And so this is a program of learning how to do this. And, and step nine is where I learn how to live love. I learn how to live by the principle of love. And what does step nine ask me to do? Step nine asks me to not do but undo. It asks me to, to take where I've hurt other people, where I've treated them unjustly or unfairly, and it asks me to go to them and tell them that they deserved better treatment than they got from me. They deserve to be treated with love. So the first way, this is always true in the 12 steps. Very often in this spiritual program, we go by contraries. We do something that seems the opposite of what we're trying to do. Um, step nine does not ask us to go and tell everybody how wonderful they are, like, like we're boosters. You know, we go tell them we love them, and then they see that we're loving people who love them. Step nine has us go to people and say, I did you a wrong, and I'm sorry. You may not know that I did this, but I took this from you. Um, you may not know this, but I said this about you. I gossiped about you, and I was the person that started that rumor. Um, you may not know this, but I cheated on this test. You may not know this. We go and we speak truth, and we speak honestly, and we speak about the hard things that people don't want to talk about, which is failure. And we speak and we embody, when we do that, we, we embody humility because we say we are not, we are not perfect. And there is something that is very healing for other people to know that you aren't perfect. There is something that gives that person permission themselves not to be perfect. We are, in a sense, teaching an, an educational lesson about human fallibility. And we're teaching that lesson in a loving way. I, I, the um, AA 12 and 12, which is, you know, absolutely wonderful, and the big book, talk about the fact that we do not make an amends if it's going to hurt another person. That is very, very important. Um, if any of you know Bill W.'s story, um, he was, uh, you know, um, he was somewhat lax in his moral values when it came to sex. And it's wonderful to read what the big book has to say about sex. And, and what he's trying to say in this 1930s language is, if I'm going to hurt somebody more by telling what I've done wrong, then I have no right to do that. And um, so everything we do is supposed to result in some benefit for the other person. If, if it's, that was what it was explained to me. If it doesn't benefit the other person, I don't need to do this just to get it off my chest. This is not about me cleaning things up. This is about 
me showing the pro remember this is a program of attraction rather than promotion this is about me showing love in action and there's a quote from Dostoevsky which he is not program literature but he's great literature where he says sometimes love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing and it can seem very frightening to you when you're new in the program to do step nine. And many people won't do step four because they don't want to do step nine. Uh, they won't do step three. They waver, waver, waver because they don't want to do step four. But anyone who has done step nine can tell you that there is almost no step that brings as much happiness. And that's why, as Karen said earlier, the promises are inserted at that point in the big book because this is when the spiritual life begins to become real to you. And it's when you find yourself, very often we make amends. And I was taught whenever possible to make what are called belly button amends, uh, which is face-to-face -face amends. You know, not, not an email amends or a text message amends, but a face-to-face -face amends. And when we go out into the world that way, very often the people we're making amends to are people we have resented. Or they're people that make us uncomfortable because we know we've hurt them. And, and being asked to connect to those people and to make things right for them is a way of making things right for ourselves in the world and for others in the world. And it, it, is, it is a healing medicine. It's like what, you know, when, when the Bible talks about the bomb in Gilead, it's, it, it's about something that makes the world better. And it, what it to me is about is it's the time when we get to be God in action, God's force in action. We get to be God's eyes and hands and voice. And we get to go and tell people that they matter and that it really matters to, to us and, and to the program that sent us. It really matters to us to make things right with them. It matters to us. They matter to us. There is something that is love. You know, love, love I was taught, is an action. It's an action, not an emotion. And anyone who's taken care of children, whether as a teacher, which is what I've done, or as a parent, you know that it's so important how you treat children. You may be irritated, you may be anxious, but you need to treat them as if they're valuable. And in this step nine, that's what we do. We treat people as valuable. And we treat time as precious and something that we're willing to spend to make things right. And it really is a beautiful step. And if you're hung back, don't be. I have never made an amends that I'm not overwhelmingly grateful. I just am overwhelmingly grateful that I had another chance to treat somebody else with dignity and respect, um, it, it has been so healing for me. Um, the next step, step 10, is perseverance. And I love that word. Um, I really do. I, lo I love the way the um, 12 steps have kept certain kinds of language alive in my life. Um, it, it is a precious part of the program, a certain kind of American plain speaking. And the best way I can tell you about perseverance is about telling you how I spent the, this day, okay? My alarm went off. This, this may be the Region 2 convention, um, but it still is just another name for Saturday. 
And so when my alarm rang off, I got up and I put on my clothes and went to the gym, which I'm very lucky. 24-hour fitness is five minutes from my house. I can walk there, and I worked out. Um, working out is part of the way I make amends to my body for the way I've treated myself, and I wasn't going to not – I thought about letting myself have the day off. And I said, no, this is a busman's holiday. This is a working holiday, and you go, you go do that. So I went to the gym, came back, started my breakfast cooking, and I did a written 10th step. I do a written 10th step every morning because I'm one of these people that is an early morning person, and I am so brain dead by the time it's 8 o'clock, let alone a late hour, like 9, that I can't do anything. So I do it right first thing in the morning. I clean up things from the other day. I look at where I've been with food. I look at where I've been with um, other measures of self-care, my spiritual life. Do I owe any amends to other people? Are there things I've done? And I just, I get it done. And then I read my little prayer and meditation books. And then I eat my abstinent breakfast. And the next thing that I did was, it, it is Saturday. I am finishing up six months of being the newcomer um, teacher at the Saturday morning maintainers meeting. The most scary thing I've ever done in OA is that particular piece of work. I, I knew that I needed to go and do it. I didn't want to ask somebody else to do it because of the convention. Um, so I went there. I didn't know how to open the oasis. And for the first 10 minutes, there were only two of us. The two of us were me and a newcomer. If I had not gotten there, that woman would have been alone. And it was so sweet to, to be there holding, you know, the newcomer packet and to get a chance to talk with her and to share the experience, strength, and hope. And, one of, and I'm going to say what she shared with me. She looked at me and she said, you've obviously gotten your weight under control. And it's it is very important to me that we live out recovery. Uh, that, that's all we have to offer is, you know, the, the fact that we're willing to not take that compulsive bite. We're willing to achieve a normal weight. These are parts of living the program, and they do convince other people. And I'm only mentioning that because I am getting older. I am 60. These, these women are young women to me. And Richard's young, okay? And... Um, what I want to say is, as you get older, in terms of perseverance, you have to eat less. And so, um, and, and if, if you're going to be an old lady in no way, you're going to have to watch every day what you eat, or you're going to get what this wonderful woman called red line disease. That is the disease you have when your clothes are so tight that they leave lines on your body when you take them off. You know, so if you want to fit in your clothes, you're going to have to do it, and you're going to have to persevere at it. There is no point in my recovery at which I've been so spiritual that I didn't have to work the nuts and bolts of, of abstinent eating. There is no point at which that dropped away. Um, as as it, um, people say, God has never come down and fixed me breakfast. I have always had to do that chop wood, carry water work. So any of you that think you, you've gotten that done, you will have to do it and you'll have to adjust it. But that's perseverance. Spiritual awareness is step 11. And I had a wonderful, my first program was Al-Anon. And I was in that for many, many years before I recognized my own failings enough to get here, you know. Um, and 
uh, I had a sponsor in Al-Anon who said, I have two step ones, step one and step 11. And she said, I say to newcomers, do not do the steps in order. They're written in order for a reason. But don't wait to do step 11. Start it right now. And, and um, that, that spiritual awareness step is the, is the engine that drives the 12 steps because that's the step in which we get our information from our higher power. And this program is all about a relationship with God. This is all about writing our relationship to ourselves, writing our relationships to other people, because we have righted our relationship to God. And, and what is that force of God? That force is the power that can do good when you as a fallible human being can only do harm. Um, and this is somewhat old-fashioned. The 12 steps are clearly different than a lot of American self-help programs of the last 30 years. They are about acknowledging that, that we are our failures as human enterprise. Um, and we don't come in and when somebody comes in with low self-esteem, we don't tell them that they're wonderful. We tell them that it's true. There are things wrong with them. And guess what? There were things wrong with us. Um, that we got here that we needed to make right. And if we could have done it better, we would have done it better. So how can we change if we, do, if we don't have the resources inside of us? By finding the resource that is both within us and without us, which is God as you understand him. And for me, um, I so much in my life, I was such a sincere little girl. I had a very religious upbringing, which unlike, I mean, I really am grateful for having had a religious upbringing. I don't follow that religion, but I was taught to give time to God. And I always wanted to know what was God's will and what did God want from me. And the, one of the most precious things I've gotten from Overeaters Anonymous is I know one thing above all. It is not God's will for me to compulsively overeat ever again. I know that. Just the way I know it's not God's will for an alcoholic or a drug addict to, to use and, and drink. And it's wonderful to know that because once you get deep inside of you that sense of knowing for God's will, then you can use it in other circumstances. And I am really, really grateful that um, some top love got, got to me through this program about the fact that I was resentful and egotistical all the things that Karen was talking about, all those feelings, I'm glad that that was talked about because, again, it's just going by contrary. I don't know why, but learning what God is is partly unlearning what God isn't. God isn't resentful. God isn't selfish. God isn't fearful. All those things, that, that is not of God. And if I, you know, if I am released from the bondage of self, God can speak and express more through me than me expressing through me. And, and that's, the, that's the point of that step. And it is prayer and meditation. We're expected to do both. And I love the fact that in a work, the big book was written in the 1930s. I love the fact that it uses that word meditation. I mean, I, I, to me, it's clearly divinely inspired because 
both of those are put there, and we're given a beautiful example of a prayer in the big book, and a le- which, which in AA they call the 11th step prayer, which is also called the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. That's the whole point of step 11, is to make you an instrument of God's peace. That is who we are to be in the world. We are called to be peacemakers. That's why we say paradoxical things like, I've stopped fighting anyone or anything. Because we do not deal with issues by fighting. We deal, um, in AA, I love it, they will say, peace at any price. That's, that's, that's a, um, from the 30s, that's a slogan that was used. And in any situation, that's what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a peacemaker. And I need that help every day because it's a hard job. You know, it is a hard job. Poor Tony Blair. He's done with being prime minister, and now he's going to be the envoy to the Middle East. You know, I mean, what a hard thing to be. It can be even harder to be an instrument of peace in your own family, particularly when a great deal of what you have to do is make up for things you've done wrong. It's hard. It's hard work, but it's where God expresses. It's between human beings. We're meant to be part of the world, and we're meant to be part of making the world more God's world. And the last of the steps is service. That's what it says in the AA lifelines. Um, Phyllis, who provided us um, one of our treasures in San Diego, uh, with more than 35 years in program, provided us with a very long list, unity, trust, open-mindedness, responsibility, acceptance, equality, and fellowship, which she says are included in step 12. So that's a huge step. Why is it a huge step? Because it's the entire rest of our lives. The entire rest of our lives is being a service. We are not here to get all this stuff from ourselves, so we get it. We are here once we've been changed so that we can be useful forces in the world. That's what we're here to do. We're, um, if you look at, at 12-step programs, we don't accumulate buildings. We don't include, uh, accumulate employees. We train a, a force of people to go out and be of use in the world, to cause, uh, to, to produce peace where there's hatred and, and love where there's enmity, um, and to bring light where there's darkness, those, those beautiful um, things in the 11th step prayer. And we're meant to be of service. And I guess uh, the reason there's so many principles about that step is there's a lot of work to be done in the world. There's a lot of work to be done. And one thing I know is that when I was compulsively eating, I was one of the world's most tired people. I really was. I was just tired. I mean, I was always lying down, you know, so I could read books and compulsively eat with that hand-to-mouth, hand-to-mouth eating. I was tired. I was tired, and I was irritable, and I was a drag on things. And... You know, I have been made a more useful, contributory, happy person as a result of this program. And, and I ask any of you that, that you know, are, are struggling, um, I was a hard case. I mean, I can't believe that I'm willing to live without um, resentment. I can't believe it because I had elevated it to a spiritual value. You know, it all had to do with my politics, which was tied in with my religion, and I was a very argumentative, confronted person, and I was good at it, and I valued it. 
I value those things. I have laid those things down. I have actually now learned to say to people expressing ideas I might not agree with what I was taught, which is there may be something in that. I will think about it. I no longer say, you idiot. You know, I don't do that any longer. I've, I've learned to be of service. I've learned to be tolerant. I've learned that I don't always know. And all of these things are, are contained in this last step, in this practicing the message. And they work. They're the only way we are asked to spread the message about freedom from compulsive overeating. Um, we're not asked to go out and, and drag people in off the street or hold up a mirror and say, don't you know that you're fat? You know, we're not meant to do that. We're meant to do this through um, being a beacon and through service. So if you, if you didn't know about the spiritual principles before you came here today, every single person on the panel had to do research to do this thing, and we've had a wonderful time in it, and we want to share our, our enthusiasm with you. So thank you. All right, one more time for our three incredible speakers. All right. All right, we will now have our speakers respond to questions from the Ask It Basket. So I'm going to ask the question, and whoever wants to come up and answer it from our wonderful panel may do so. Um, what's your abstinence, weight, and loss? Was this directed toward anybody in particular? Whoever wrote it? Did, is there, did, did, okay, who would like to answer it then? All right, come on. As I said, what's my abstinence? I don't know whether you mean my length of years or what I eat or how I define it. Does anybody want to be? Okay. Uh, I've been absent. Uh, like I said, I think it's 27, 20, 26 years. <laughs> I have to have people around. My absence in terms of what I eat has changed, and I'm willing to talk about that with anybody on a one-to-one -one basis. I personally do not ban any foods. Uh, because, frankly, I would have to ban all food. Uh, I don't necessarily, um, I believe in lots of different ways. I think it's one of the hard things about our fellowship, but I also think it's one of the gifts of our fellowship. Uh, I am not afraid of any food or food group. Um, I uh, do not share my weight publicly because I am not that recovered, but my sponsor knows my weight <laughs> on an intimate basis. So I will not do that, and that's just where my disease is. And uh, I am maintaining somewhere around a 60-pound weight loss. Oh, is this one for me? You want me to do this now? Yeah. Why don't we do this? Why don't we all share our uh, efforts, and then we'll, we'll hand out the specific um, questions. So I am maintaining somewhere around a 60-pound weight loss. I was well over 200 pounds, and the last time I weighed my – I did not weigh myself at my – Top way that was one of the ways I stayed in denial. So it's somewhere six pound weight loss for those 26 years. Um, I love it. Pe people in OA want to know those practical things, and I think it's important. Okay, my I was encouraged to pick an abstinence state and to have a black and white definition of abstinence that I could live with for the rest of my life. And, and um, on August 6th, 1998, I became abstinent, so I'm coming up on nine years, God willing, 
My abstinence has been the same the whole time. It is no random eating in between three moderately portioned moderate meals, no matter what, and I stay away from my individual binge foods. And um, that has given me a great deal of flexibility. I put moderately portioned moderate meals because I brought the dieting mentality of if it doesn't have calories, I can have as much of it as I want. Okay, so I, 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 I put it that way. And um, I was not at my highest weight when I came nine years ago. Um, my highest weight was 205, which was in college. I was very overweight as a teenager and young woman. Got my weight down to a size 10 um, and by never eating during the daytime and only eating at night and compulsive exercising. And I was probably, I was a size 10 when I came in. I don't know what I weighed because I avoid the scale. Um, I don't avoid the scale now. I weigh um, every time I'm at the gym and I weigh 112 and I'm a size 2 and I do eat normally. Um, I'm Mary Compulsive Eater. Um, I came into this program, I got abstinent, and I had just had my jaws wired shut for six weeks because um, I had oral surgery. And so I had just lost 20 pounds, and um, that was put me at 160. So my high weight is 190. That put me at 160. I checked into treatment. Treatment said that I should weigh 160. Um, I did go up to 170 in this program, and um, two years ago I broke my hip, and I went, I lost another 20 pounds, and now I'm down at 150. As a matter of fact, I just weighed this morning, and I am 149. And right now I am weighing every single day because of the fact that I just returned from Spain and I have gained 4 pounds. And to me, 4 pounds is no different from 40 pounds. If I can't lose 4 pounds, I can't lose 40 pounds. And my abstinence is uh, three meals a day, as I mentioned before, and an optional snack. I follow the ADA food plan, which uh, I started out a lot different than it is today. And basically, it's three starches, three proteins, four vegetables, three, uh, three fruits, and two dairies. And it looks like I'm now going to have to start eliminating something else. I've already eliminated a starch. I had four dairies, four starches, four fruits, and four vegetables, and four proteins when I, in my, when I got out of treatment. And uh, the ADA food plan, which is the American Diabetics Association, or Weight Watchers, follows the same kind of food plan. So it's a great food plan. The other thing that's a part of my food plan is I don't eat sugar. And also, I don't go more than six hours without eating. As I said, I just traveled overseas. You're up 24 hours. It gets kind of crazy. You don't know what next meal is. But um, I pretty much follow um, that same plan and eat every six hours. Yes, you had a question? Okay. Um, so anyway, that's my afternoon. Thanks. Can we please get the phone numbers of each speaker? Uh, I would say that's probably a one-on-one -on -one request. Uh, if you want their phone numbers, uh, see them after the meeting and get that. Where are the principles listed and explained? I thought there were 12 principles, one for each step. Where did the extra six come from? Okay. Hi. Um, the principles are, that we located were in the Lifeline April 2004. And then I went through the big book and tried to tease them out of the big book. 
And basically what you can find is they're pretty much in, intertwined with all of the steps. They are also in the OA 12 and 12 under the 12th step. And yes, I started out with, and the 12th step is service. Um, and then Phyllis, of course, our, our esteemed leader um, that was planning the programs told us that there were more and that they're incorporated and this is what AA has said about the principles. And I did look in there, too. I'll just add as an aside, there are, there are 18 words italicized in that description, so that's how they that's how there came to be um, 18 on the page. So the last questions are the ones directed directly at Mary and Karen, so go ahead and respectively do your thing. The question is, after all these years of abstinence, do you ever feel the urge to purge after an uncomfortable meal? For all the maintainers here, have you ever had the urge to eat? Yes. Okay. So, yes, I still have um, the urge to purge. And as a matter of fact, my purging was an exercise and also diuretics and laxatives. And at the time that I got into treatment, um, I had a friend who died from overusing um, laxatives. And in treatment, I learned about Epicac. So I know that if I go out there... I'm going to purge again. I cannot stick my finger down my throat because of the fact that I don't want to give up any food. So I let it. I do the other things. And um, with these four pounds that I gained, I've been wanting to take laxatives this week because I said that'll clean me out. And um, I have refrained because I know that's part of my bulimia. And just as I'm not going to get into the food, I don't get into the bulimia. Thanks. You can go on. <clears throat> How do you differentiate between self-discipline and turning your will over to God? That's a great question. Um, I learned, uh, what did, I think it was Lori who said, God's never come downstairs and made me breakfast. Um, turning my will over to God is asking God for me. It's <clears throat> my willingness and my um, belief that has come after working the steps and my years in recovery that um, God will uh, do a better job on things than I do. So by willing, uh, turning my will over to God is, is my internal stance and willingness and that sense of openness to look for and see the signs, the miracles, the way around me. Uh, self-discipline is my own action. I have to be willing to take my own action and restrict my own actions. Sometimes, with, as with food, I couldn't do that without having a spiritual belief and having come clean in the world and living in a way that is as clean as I can. Um, but it is the willingness, the action that I have to take. So this is a program not just of pondering. There is this chapter in the AA 12 and 12 that says, into action. And so self-discipline is my action. The willingness turning my will over to God is my internal stance about uh, my life, or for me, honestly, the thing, certain things in my life, because I take it back all the time. Okay, the question is, do you think we talk enough about the principles in our meetings? Shouldn't we know them rather than have to go to research? Absolutely. 
And I can tell you something that I will be speaking more about the principles of this program, and I hope that all of you will take that back to your meetings and that you will talk more about the principles of the program. And um, because, yes, I agree, they need to be discussed more. So thank you for whoever asked that. Rather than leaving that as a, a failing, when I see these principles, I think we do ourselves, we'll do ourselves a service to call them out as principles or values. For me, I believe we share and talk about these all the time. Uh, when I read them, I went, oh, of course. These are the things that this program has taught me in how I live my life. These are the things that my sponsor talks to me about. These are the things that I talk to the people I sponsor about in terms of dealing with life issues. So I would like to say that perhaps we ought to underline them in meetings, but from my perspective and in my experience, we talk about these all the time. Thanks. All right, let's hear it for that uh, question and answer session. Beautifully done, beautifully done. <clears throat> Late-breaking announcement. Please announce that anyone can go to the dinner speaker, no charge, if they're not paying for or having dinner tonight. So there you go. All right. It's like Christmas around here, you know? Christmas. Christmas in June. Just go. Just show up. Not clear about the schedule. Uh, if you don't have a schedule, then look in your envelope or ask someone who does. Okay. So um, who knows what time it is? Let's see here. 10 to 12. We have eight minutes left for sharing. So, do, 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 do. we'll now have three minute shares, focus on the topic of OA principles, and finish your share by the end of three minutes. The timer will tell you when you have one minute and then when you're out of time. If you come up here and share, you must sign the tape release form, uh, and you have to do a better job of it than the speakers did here. So, uh, actually sign it. Um, so, who would like to share? Hi, I'm Lois Ripley, Recovering Compulsive Eater. Hi. Hi. Um, what a great conference. I'm from Boston, and I've been here on business, and my business ended yesterday, and I was looking for a meeting, and boy, did I find meetings. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, if, you know, we have a, a saying that we use in the Passover Seder. It's Dianu. It means it's enough. Would have been enough. And, um, you know, if God had taken us out of Egypt, and that would have been enough. If God had taken us out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea, that would have been enough. And it goes on and on and on. And I just feel that OA is the gift that keeps on giving. If I had gotten abstinent, well, it would have been enough. But God knows that that's not enough for this addict, for this food addict. That there's not only a physical healing that needs to be made, there's... Um, uh, an emotional and a spiritual healing too, and that's where the principles come in. And that, and I really want to thank all the speakers because you so beautifully talked to the fact that for me it's not enough to be in a thin body. That that is nice because it gives me a certain level of credibility that I can um, speak to the newcomer from. But you know that credibility isn't going to trans translate or, or migrate over to the people I care about in my family and people I work with, if I'm walking around a thin raving, you know what. And um, it's nice to know that this is a, a program of 
um, being and becoming um, because I really need to be gentle with myself and, that, and to know that the honesty, the hope, the faith, the courage, all of that is never a state of perfection. It's one of becoming. It's, you know, I be what I can be and I do a 10 step every day or every night or whatever or throughout the day to um, see where I can become a, a better person. Not just a thinner person, but a better person. And that's, you know, God fills that this vehicle now that I used to fill and clog with food and laxatives and all that other and negative thinking. And, um, you know, I learned so much in just this one session. Dianu, that would have been enough. You know, and I'm deeply humbled and I'm deeply grateful. And, um, you know, away and God are awesome. Thank you. We have time for one more. Come on up. It's interesting that you can get a benefit from a piece of paper handed out. When I sat down, somebody handed me this list, and I thought, what do we need that for? You know, we're just going to listen to people talk. And thank you for your talk, too. I wasn't here for all of it because my sponsee wanted me back. My sponsee went away and then she said, oh, can I have you back? So we were having a big talk. So I'm sorry I was late. I really appreciated the shares. What I got out of this list, somebody handed me a list and I thought there was no value in it. And of course, this is a higher power at work. Um, I saw hope on there as a principle of OA. And I thought, why would that be a principle? And one of the speakers made a good point that God wants for us what is nurtures us and makes us healthy and makes us strong. And I have a terrible situation in my family. Um, and I'm, my attitude toward it has been a, that it's best for me to not have hope. And uh, and suddenly I looked at this list and I thought, wait a minute, that's not, this is not what God wants. Being hopeful and making efforts is part of it. And when the speaker said, peace at any price. And my daughter kicked me out of her life three years ago, and I know how stubborn she is, and I know exactly where she learned it. And uh, so my attitude was, don't be a fool, you know, accept that, that that's your life from now on. But no, I see this on here, and I'm going to take a different attitude, and I'm going to learn peace at any price and make those efforts to put love out there, and God willing. Thank you. We have time for one more quick one. Hi, my name's Nan. I'm a compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic. Um, hi, I just wanted to get up here to say I'm really grateful that the convention is here in San Diego and that I have a higher power who accepts me the way I am. I don't do it perfectly, but you know what? I'm so grateful. You know, I've been around these rooms for like almost 20 years, and God loves me. He loves me enough that he doesn't want me to sit around where I'm at. So each day is a new day, and it's a new day of recovery for me and doing things a little differently. Um, I have an abstinence of three meals a day, nothing in between. And um, in the ensuing years, I have learned to, you know, well, maybe for today I don't need that item. So I have had the willingness to 
and I hate the word banned, but not go to certain foods anymore. And um, once I throw out a willingness and say it out loud, um, the desire goes away, which is, which is a wonderful miracle. And um, I exercise. I know I need to really mm, look into that um, because I'm very happy when my weight and my exercising and my food is all in balance. And when that gets shot out of balance, okay, I need to say, you know, higher power, am I being a control person again? So, um, because I want the serenity, I want it all the time that this program um, promises. But I have to be willing to surrender and say, you know what? Hey, what do you want me to do today, God? Thank you. Yes. It is now time to close the meeting. Let's thank our speakers. Yes. All right. Yet again, everyone who shared. Our timer. Yay. And I just want to thank you all for letting me be of service. And let's see. Will those who care to please stand and join hands as we close with, I put my hand in yours, and then the serenity prayer. So I'll just come over there and join in that. I'm not going to miss out on the circle. Does anyone know the I put my hand in yours? Would you like to leave with it?